James chapter 4 because I want to continue where as Granny would say Williams were. It tells us in the it, uh, Brother Jeremy is this mic okay the way it is? Okay. Am I talking loud enough where people can hear? Alright. Thank you sir. If I have to speak up, y'all let me know. Used to have a man who, he told me he deliberately sat on the back row to make sure I was reminded to speak up loud and clear. I'm sure that's why people sit in the back row today. Now me, I figured just in case the preacher drops out, I want to sit as close as I can. You know, I have to sit on the front row, but I find... I can almost always find a seat on the front row in just about any Baptist church. James 4, 4 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of this world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of, this, of the world is the enemy of God. Now he's not talking to the drunks. He's not talking to the dope fiends. He's not talking to the harlots. He's talking to church folk. So maybe we ought to give a listen, don't you suppose? It is possible to be in a place of worship and not have a worshipful body, not have a worshipful spirit. Sometimes people get in a rut. Somebody called a rut a grave with the ends kicked out. They're going through the forms. They know the doctrine in their head, but it doesn't show in their life. I mentioned last week, but it certainly bears repeating. Not only did Brother Orville Heath preach the doctrine which warms my heart from the word. But he also emphasized godly living. I don't know that there was anyone during his lifetime who would have dared to call him legalistic. But I don't doubt there were probably some who thought, why is he talking about godly living? You know, the important thing is to get the doctrine right. Doctrine's good. Practice is also important. Sometimes people want to hide behind the dark. <laughs> I believe in the sovereignty of God. And I also believe in the responsibility of man. Well, not so much. That's why some people have gone so far as to make God the author of sin because they don't want to stand before God. But as we were reminded in Sunday school today, it's not just the sovereignty of God, but it's also the responsibility of man. I believe it was Peter who reminds some folks, you by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken the Lord of glory. You have crucified and slain Him. You know what? You are responsible to God for what you think, for how you Feel for where you go, for what you say, for what you do. Yeah, you don't have to account to me. 
Sometimes people get around preachers. I was around one fellow not too long, and he started using some wordy dirts. And he says, oh, sorry, preacher. He's not going to answer to me. He'll answer to the Lord. I won't answer to any man. I answer to the Lord. That should make my knees shake. That should get my attention. That should cause me to put everything else away. And don't I stand before a great God? But if I'm afraid of not fitting in, I want to be a friend of this world. No. My priority is to be the friend of God. That should be your priority. Don't insult God's intelligence and say, I'm your, I'm your friend by just throwing you a bone. I'll give you 45 minutes on Sunday. Just leave me alone the rest of the week. Unless I need something, then you better come a-running. Because I figure if I ask for it, I'm good enough to get it. Really? Really? You don't understand the concept of grace, do you? Everything you have, everything I have, our only hope is because of what the Lord has done and what He continues to work. Uh, another verse we studied in Sunday school. I believe it's in Philippians. It's the Lord who works to will and to do of His good pleasure in our life. If you think, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. No, the Lord will empower you. The Lord will direct you. The Lord will tell you how to think and how to feel. Are you cold toward the things of God? Shame on you. Am I cold toward the things of God? Shame on me. That's the bottom line. It's not what you think or I think. What has God declared in His Word? Now, um, when we think about this business of friendship, I told you also last week, I wasn't a church service, I wasn't a Bible conference, I wasn't even a Christian school meeting, but it was in a prison service. Marsha and I heard bunch of fellas to get up and say, I am a friend of God! Do you say that? Do you mean that? Do you feel that? Do you relate to that? Or are you too afraid of hurting somebody else's feelings? Now, friendship is not a bad thing. God is the one who affords it, but I want you to know that there are some limits to that. Here we are in the Southland, and people sing Dixie. And in Dixie it says, look away, look away, look away, Dixie Lane. They're not saying, keep it in the distance. They said, keep it in your mind, keep it in your heart. Be thankful for our forefathers who went before us. But some people, they want to look away like God's word says this. Well, I don't want to look there. 
I don't want God to convict me. I don't want God to tell me how to spend my time and my money and my energies. I want instead to do what pleases me. Because it's all about me. That's a problem. Everything is to be seen in the light of this. Um, I use this illustration, but let's pretend this represents man's wisdom. This stuff, I'm not going to pretend this is God's word. This is truth without admixture of error. And some people, when they look at their libraries, they say, well, a Bible over here, and I got all of man's wisdom over here. How do I read them? Some people read them like, well, 50% here, 50% here, okay, that's where I'm going to go. Some people read it like this. If I'm going to read the Bible, it's through the lens, through the filter of what man says. You know how it ought to be? Read what man says through God's word. This is the filter. This is the context. This is the real meaning. The real deal. I want to read between the lines. Read these lines. You don't have to have anything else than that. And that deals with friendship as well. Let's go to the book of Proverbs. First of all, we'll look in Proverbs chapter 14. I don't want you to think that it's wrong to have friends. I think some people read our text and think, well, friendship of the world. I don't want to be friends with anybody but God. You can and you ought to do the right thing. Sure enough, Proverbs chapter 14. Let's look at a couple of verses in this chapter. Verse number four says, Friendship is something that has its limits. Look at chapter 17, please. Now, some of you may be familiar with Jimmy Rogers. And when he was recording his songs back in the 20s and early 30s, he sang, when you've got money, you got all the friends you could possibly want. But that's the way the world is so many times. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17 says, because here's a real friend. A friend loveth at all times. Your friend isn't just your fair weather friend. When Thomas Paine wrote a book about common sense, he called it, he said, 
but we're beyond the time of a sunshine patriot, of the sunny day patriot. The guy who's your friend in happy times, he says, we don't need that kind of soldier. These are times that try men's souls. Your real friend isn't the guy that pats you on the back when things are going well and saying, here, my buddy. When you are down, when you are out, when you really need a friend, what's it say? A friend that loveth at all times. And likewise, in chapter 18 and verse 24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. I imagine every year Marsha was in the classroom and several of mine when I had little fellows and sometimes not so little fellows. Somebody said, I don't have any friends. Well, what have you done to make a friend? Well, they're supposed to be friends with me. Well, where does it say that they have to take the initiative? Where to say you have to make the first move? Now, I tend to be a, a people person. Believe it or not, I was born shy, but it wore off quick. So I try to look folks up. Usually, I try to shake everybody's hand before service starts, and unless you skedaddle out of the auditorium. Usually I like to shake your hand and give you a word and, and let you know I appreciate seeing you at the end of the service too. If you really don't want to shake my hand, you can't avoid me. But I try not to make it too easy for a person to avoid me. I, I, I try to keep myself in some kind of way that I ought to be. But I want you to know, if you have friends, if you want to have friends, show yourself. Take some initiative. Sure enough. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And we know who that friend is, of course. Don't we? Go to chapter 27, please. Verse 10. Does God want us to have friends? I'm pretty sure He does. Should we be friendly? Should we remember those folks? Well, why do you suppose the Spirit gave this to Solomon to write? <coughs> Verse 10 of Proverbs 27. Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. I wouldn't be much of a friend if you came to me and said, could we talk? And I said, I'm too busy. I could care less. Talk to the hand. Can't find that scripture. Neither go into thy brother's house on the day of thy calamity for beggars a brother, a neighbor that is near than a brother far off. That's got a, a lot to say. I had my notes prepared earlier in the week in the providence of God. 
That was a good thing because I was in no condition to prepare a message Thursday night, Friday morning, even yesterday. But Marcia brought me the mail last night. I know it in scripture. There was a guy named Walter Winchell. And I just saw this last night. A real friend is one who walks out when the rest of the walks in when the rest of the world walks out. You want to know who your friends are? When you're down and you've got problems? Who comes around and gives you some encouragement? Who's been praying for you? Now, you don't have to tell me, but I appreciate if you talk to the Lord about me. I hope you pray for this preacher. I have feet of clay. I have holes. I miss things. I need reminders. And I'm not too proud to, to take a comment from somebody. You are my friend if you point out my errors. Boy, I set myself up for that. But it's true. I have blind spots. I appreciate the man that's got the guts to tell me the truth. And I know it's not because he's got a chip on his shoulder, but it's because he's got some discernment. Now, I'd rather you do it off to the side. I have been called down. I've been called down by inmates. And I'm not too proud to apologize to people. So, folks, if I overspeak, if I don't put it quite the right way, just remember, God is still working on me. I believe he's still working on you as well. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus said something. You know, it's funny. Sometimes people say, Oh, you know, money, that, that's filthy lucre. That's bad stuff. And we had four men come up here and gathered in plates. What do we want to have money for? Nasty stuff. Somebody told me that some of the dirtiest stuff you carry around with you is money. Because people touch it. And people have germs. They have ooey gooeys. They have cooties or whatever. Nasty old money, dirty old money. And yet the Lord said something here, as I said in Luke 16, verse 9. Now the Lord's not talking out of both sides of his mouth. He never has. He never will. But even the Lord is reminding us that there are people in this world that they have some moxie about money. They know that money is not to be wasted. Money should be invested. It's important that we spend our time and our money and our energy, all of those, toward the things of God, of course. But even the heathen people, if they have their head put on right, so to speak, they know how to get the most for their dollar. Yeah, that's, that's a good biblical principle. I think that's part of what the Lord's talking about here in verse 9. 
And I say to you, make yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. And when you fail, you may, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. I just think he's talking about stewardship here. If God puts money in your pocket, keep the Lord first. I think we call that the tithe. Pay the Lord first. You say, I'm going to pay my bills, and I'm going to have some fun, and if there's anything left over, that's what God gets. If you follow that procedure, God's probably going to wind up getting a short end of the stick. That's why it talks about the first fruits. Honor the Lord first. Honor the Lord first in your time. Why do you suppose we worship on the first day of the week? We don't wait till the end of the week. Well, if there's time, if I'm not too tired, if my hamster doesn't have a hangnail, maybe I'll throw God a bone and go to church. Now we start the week off. Right. If possible to do so. So it's important we realize that money is something we have a stewardship with. Friendship is something we have a stewardship with. But friendship is not the most important thing with this world. In Genesis 19, it tells us how that a man named Lot, Lot wasn't called a friend of God. You ever wonder why? He sure didn't act like the friend of God. Oh, it grieved him on the inside. His righteous soul was vexed, but the wickedness of the Sodomites, it bothered him so much, but just not enough to get out of town. He got too comfy. At one point it tells us he had a tent that looked down into Sodom. The last thing he saw about the outside world before he closed his tent flap was Sodom. And then the next morning he opened it up, first thing he saw was Sodom. When we married in California, we had a hotel room in San Francisco. Got up the first morning of our married life. And I opened it. And I looked out on Sin City. I, I kind of understand where Lot was coming from. There's a reason why Abraham lived in tents for the rest of his life. Because he knew that there was wickedness. Somebody asked the man, what's wrong with the country today? And the man said, the problem's not in the country, the problem's in the city. Well, a great number of crimes and, and all of that, but that's another message. In the 19th of Genesis, where the wicked men of Sodom, when they saw these two angels come in, they said, new fish, opportunity to do what we do best. And so they came to Lot's place and they said, let us in. We want those men. And you know what Lot said? He said, you abominable sinners. No, read the passage. He called them brethren. You've got to draw a line somewhere. And if you're too friendly, if you're too cozy with the world, 
You're not the friend of God. You've got to take signs. Sometimes we got to be reminded. The Lord even said, I've not come to bring everybody together. I, I cause variance, division between the parent and the child. From the in-laws, they sometimes act like outlaws. The Lord must come first. That's what's important. Abraham is twice called the friend of God. Lot never called the friend of God. That ought to tell us something. There's a lot of folks who want to be like Lot. Not too many people want to be so much like Abraham. In Esther chapter 5, it tells us that when, I believe it's the 14th verse, it tells us how that a wicked man named Haman, he hated the Jews in general, and one, Mordecai in particular. And he came home, and his wife was there, and some of his friends were there, and they thought, don't you have the tiger by the tail? Don't you have the world on a string? Mr. Hayman, and he said, I'll tell you what, as long as that, that Jew, Mordecai, as long as he's this side of the soil, I can't really be happy. And so somebody got a bright idea. Why don't you get a gallows built? And you work it out so that Mordecai hangs, and you'll get some gratification. And you know, he did build those gallows by the encouragement of his friends. He didn't need friends like that. And you don't need friends like that either. But sometimes it's our friends that do those things. In the book of Job, it was bad enough that he had the sufferings that the Father allowed this Satan to pour upon him. But you know what? He couldn't even suffer in solitude. He had three these kind of friends. And with friends like this, he didn't really need a whole lot of enemies, now, did he? Look what they plays in uh, Job chapter 16. They have come to him and they've already started to dump on him. Some of them even took a righteous tone and said, oh, Joe, if you're really God's child, he wouldn't let this kind of stuff happen to you. You don't see us troubled with these problems. You don't see the Sabaeans coming in and taking off our crops. You don't see us with boils all over our body. We don't, you don't see us with coming back from a funeral of all ten of our kids. What's wrong with you, Mr. Job? Well, after they spell it off a bit, the 16th of Job, just the first two verses. Then Job answered, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. You don't need a friend like that. Even if your friend is down in the dumps, even if your friend has had some heartbreaking news, Let them know, I pray for you. I care for you. I give a hoot 
for you. Those things are important. I believe it's spoken prophetically of how it is that men treated Christ so pathetically. In Psalm 41. Yes. In verse 9. When the Spirit gave these words to David to write down. I don't know if David could personally relate to some of this. But I believe he spoke this about part of the experience of Christ. There was a man called. He was not just in the outer circle. He came to the inner circle. He was one of the apostles. His name was Judas Iscariot. I mean, that's not as a slam at our tre treasurer, but I'm sure every church treasurer's been teased about this. You know, Judas, he was the weasel. He was this rascal and all of this. Because Judas was a stinker. And yet when Judas betrayed Jesus, when he came to him that night, those came with, with him with their swords and all of that. They came to arrest Jesus. And Jesus didn't look at Judas and say, you dirty dog, you miserable excuse for a human being. How dare you show up here? No. You read the scripture. The gospel tells us Jesus said, Friend, why art thou come? What kind of friend would sell Jesus out? Well, that's the kind of friend Judas was. So I said, Psalm 41, verse 9. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted which did eat of my bread the night he was betrayed. A few hours before he was in the garden, they were there in the upper roof. And the Lord said, one of you will betray me. In a sense, they all did. But specifically, he was targeting Judas Iscariot. I was there. Mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. When it was time to ski-daddle and be a stinker, he got up and he ski-daddled. He had some business to take care of. And the Lord didn't say, there he goes, that dirty dog. May God strike him dead. No. The Lord said, what thou doest, do quickly. Isn't it interesting that we always have time to do the wrong thing? But sometimes we got to get up the nerve to do the right thing. And while you're in the Psalms, go to Psalm 55. I hope I never get caught saying Psalm chapter 55. Psalm 55, look at verses 12 and 13. Because, humanly speaking, how could the Jews have ever laid hands on Jesus and turned him over for crucifixion if they didn't have an insider, a way to get into and know where he was, know what his purpose and pleasure was? 
verses 12 and 13. For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it, neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, the finger of God, points down the centuries to Judas Iscariot. And if you, in any wise, if I, in any wise, fail to be the friend of God, just imagine that finger of God, the prompting of the Holy Spirit to talk to you. If I heard an audible voice that says, Steve Rains, you are not a friend of God. You sold out. You care more about the praise of men than the pleasure of God. That ought to get my attention. But it was thou, a man, my equal, my guide, and mine acquaintance. Hmm. That's a problem. And one more I want you to see, and we'll be through for this morning. I think this was also spoken prophetically of what Jesus suffered when men treated him so pathetically. Zechariah, that's one of the last of the so-called minor prophets. How long as minor prophets go? Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6. I'm satisfied this is also speaking of the Lord. What did Thomas say? He wouldn't believe in the, the resurrection to take place until I see the print of the nails. I want to see the holes in his hand. Well, this passage also makes reference to that, I do believe. And one shall say to him, What are these wounds in thy hands? You might oh, that's where that dirty dog did this. Somebody else did that. But that's not the way it's worded here, is it? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friend. Many a time, annals of history, we read of people who, after reflecting upon their experience, they say, you don't need enemies when you got friends like I've got. Are you the friend of God? Are you just a sellout? Are you an adulterer or adulteress? Or do you really keep the Lord first? I love Marsha Harris. God, God have pity on me if, if I were to cheat on her or to treat her in a shabby way or to disrespect her in any way. If I were to say, well, I walked the aisle. Yeah, we said some nice things and we've had some good times. And then I go out somewhere and I'm carousing. I'm doing things with other females I have no business doing. I'm unfaithful if I do that. 
We should guard our hearts. We should guard our minds. The Lord said, if you, if you think it, you've already committed it in your hearts. I have an obligation to God, and part of that is that I honor this woman. <coughs> I love all of you sisters in Christ, but not like I love her. I have no business loving or thinking about any display like what I have with her. That's the way love works. It's a discriminating thing. Do you love the Lord that highly that you won't trash His name? We talked about blasphemy this morning in Sunday school. And the Lord did say, don't take my name in vain. But it also tells us in the Word that you might blaspheme the name of the Lord by the way you carry yourself. You might shame the name of Jesus Christ. You might do something. You might commit something that is just a sin. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit murder. That's doing something that's wrong. But James 4.17 also says, you don't want to omit anything. If you know what this book says, these are not suggestions, folks. These are not recommendations. This is God's Word. He's telling you what to do. Not just how to think, although it's in there too. Not just how to feel, but what to do. And uh, I can't do any better than remind you what he already gave to James. Chapter 4, 17. He that knoweth to do good. If you know what this book says, this is the good book. It tells you what to do. The good Lord gave the good book so that we would have the good word and we would know what the good deeds are that we ought to do. Now suppose you know what it says in this book and you don't do it. How could I get in trouble for failing to do what I didn't do? Well, let's just read that verse. Maybe you can say it with me as we close. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. That's a slight, that's an oversight, isn't it? Is that what it says? That's an oversight? Feel free. Stand with me. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, Brother Dan knows the right thing to do. Brother Kenny knows what to do. They just don't do it. No big deal, right? God counts that as sin. Now, if you're a brand new Christian and you don't have a clue what this book says, you might mess up. But God knows what you know. With knowledge comes responsibility. I am accountable to God. And if I am His friend, I am obliged to do what He says. What if I don't feel like it? Sometimes I don't feel... We were reminded about taxes. What if you don't feel like paying your taxes? 
Think Uncle Sam, oh, you didn't feel like paying your taxes? No, no, no. That, that's not an excuse. You do as best as you can do for the glory of God as long as you can. The Lord knows your limitations. There is a limitation on friendship. Are you a friend of God? I want to be God's friend. I want to be your friend too. And that means I'm going to tell you the truth. Paul says, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I hope you get my truth. Well, Paul.